It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi there, I'm Kendra Adachi, and I host the Lazy Genius Podcast, a show that helps you be a genius about the things that matter and lazy about the things that don't. But here's the kicker. You get to decide what matters, not me. I'm not here to tell you what to do. I'm here to give you a new way to see. Episodes are around 20 minutes and are full of practical, helpful information, as well as a lot of permission slips to do what makes sense for you. New episodes drop every Monday and cover a broad range of topics from laundry and getting dinner on the table to finding work-life balance and organizing your inbox. So I invite you to give the Lazy Genius Podcast a listen. Together, let's stop doing it all for the sake of doing what matters. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Welcome to the Strange Boat Podcast. This is a bit of a saga cruise because joining me on the bridge is fellow veteran angler Ray Boris. Ray's got more strings to his angling bow than the violin section of the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra, and we're going to give them a good plucking. How are you, mate? I'm fine, Keith. Lovely to see you again, and lovely to hear you, my friend. Well, we can see each other, which is the first time on on the Strange Boat I've been able to see my victim. Uh, sorry, my guest. Um, so it's yeah, it does make a change. I don't know if anybody else will see it. Just us, I think, which is uh, probably just as well because I can see that lovely salmon behind you, and you can see a load of old fishing clothes behind me. But that's uh, that's yeah. how it goes. You so, can also you can also see Keith. I'm badly in need of a haircut. <laughs> well, aren't we all? And and it doesn't look like we'll be getting one for another month or two. But there you go. There you um, go. Yeah, just wash it a bit more and hope it shrinks. Um, <laughs> as an angler, right, when and how did your fishing start? What made you start fishing? It's a bit of a story, actually, Keith, because... Oh, I was um, hoping it was. That's why it's good to have a podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, Mum and Dad were clippies. You all understand what that means. Yeah, um, back in London on the double-decker buses, uh, the conductors were called clippies because they used to clip your ticket. Right. And... Um, when we first lived in London, uh, 
dad worked out of Stratford, uh, as did mum, both did ship work. And um, dad was a very keen angler. And I can remember as a child sitting with him fishing the Grand Union Canal. I wasn't old enough um, to fish. But then mum and dad got a move to Hemel Hempstead, Newtown. Uh, and dad uh, uh, started to work from Two Waters Bus Garage. Uh, Two Waters Courts, because um, that's where the Gade and the Bullborn, tributaries of the Colne, and therefore the Thames, where those two waters meet. And he got job uh, got a job at the uh, local bus garage there and started their fishing section um, back in Stratford obviously the uh, the garage belonged to the London Anglers Association and then when we moved to Hemel dad moved uh, moved that particular uh, you know with a with the buses at that time uh, there was a huge social section so he moved that part of the social section up to two waters garage became the secretary of the angling side and every month or every three or four weeks during the summer, a double decker bus full of people would, would disappear to various places. I'm going to, I'm, 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 some of the names you're, you, anybody who lived through that era will know the Thames, Bourne End, Gatehampton, Hartslot Woods, just, you know, anybody who lived at those times would know about those names. The, the River Bure, uh, the River Arran. And when I was about eight, uh, for the very first time, my dad sat me on his crossbar of his bike, cycled down at Two Waters Garage at about four o'clock in the morning, started fiddling with the bus. And um, it's a bit of a funny story. I couldn't understand why him and Jim Parsons, who was the driver, had chosen a bus that needed mending before they, uh, before they started off. But <laughs> It didn't need mending. Uh, the fact was, is that all buses then, and we're talking about RTs, this is in the days before even route masters were, were on the road. Uh, <laughs> it didn't need mending. What they were actually doing was taking the 40 mile an hour governor off it. So Uncle Jim could really give it the welly on the way we, where we were going. And it was amazing. So I was an only child and those trips that I remember with the with the angling section of London Transport Two Waters Garage were just the thing that got me absolutely hooked because there I was on a double decker bus on the top deck with a load of other kids having a scally. The guys would be downstairs smoking, which was the opposite of what the bus would be able to do if it were in operation because all the smokers had to sit up top. And we'd set off for these destinations. And my very first destination with those boys was the River Avon at Pulborough. And uh, I can remember that. Dad sat me, uh, the boys used to sit in a different section and the adults used to take it in terms to come and give us some hand, you know, give us a hand and have a chat and make sure we're doing the right things. And I can remember sitting there and catching what must have been bleak and small roach and thinking, this is just fantastic. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, Uncle Jim and my dad and that they used to and all those fellows, they used to look after us like we were kings. Uh, you know, Uncle Jim for a laugh. Bear in mind, this is the, the era of A-roads. Uh, he used to see a humpback bridge about half a mile ahead, slew the bus to an almost stop. And us kids would be looking out the front thinking, what's gone wrong? And then we suddenly realized what had gone wrong was there was a bridge that Uncle Jim was going to flat it over. <laughs> and he used to flat the bus out and 
you wouldn't believe what those double deckers could do before they actually went over. But Jim tried. He tried to get one over, and and we all used to hit the ceiling, and it was it was amazing laugh. And as I say, those guys, working guys, looking after us kids, showing us how to fish, salt of the earth geezers. They were absolutely salt of the earth. I'm, I'm not sure if I remember it exactly, but I think the old RTs had something like a nine and a half or 10 litre engine with um, a three or four speed pre-select gearbox. It's not like it was a Perkins yeah. diesel engine. Yeah, that's right. I remember it. Yeah. Um, and Perkins. And, and uh, I can remember the actual uh, route masters coming out. 63. They were they were only for London, you know. Yeah. Hemel Hempstead, the double deckers were green then, uh, yeah. as opposed to the red livery of the of the London buses, and all went well with that. It was fantastic. But I always remember that one funny story: is Uncle Jim went over a bridge somewhere, and of course it was great, except that we had a couple of new kids whose uh, maggot tins weren't particularly well well tightened, and of course the thing about maggots, and I I, I think. I, I, we, we've fished before, and I think both you and I have actually said this. It's an amazing magic trick they do. You've got them up to the brim of your tin, and there's 10,000 maggots. You drop some, you pick them all up, but you've all, now only got 9,000 maggots, and about two, it's about two inches from the top. And this is, of course, what happened when, when Uncle Jim made us it, you know, went over a bridge, the boys' tins came undone, we picked all the maggots up. And then about two weeks later, my dad came home and he was absolutely fuming. And of course, my me, me mum and I took it for a little while while he ate his dinner, absolutely fuming, until one of us plucked up courage to ask him what had gone wrong. And he said, well, the bus that we used 10 days ago had to be taken out of service. He said, because the clients were sitting there with flies the size of World War II bombers flying around the, flying <laughs> around the deck because there'd have been a bit of a hatch on. And he said, that wouldn't have been so bad, one taken out of service. He said, but Ted Bundy or whoever it was drove the bleeding bus, drove it straight back into the bleeding garage. The flies all shot out and blinking contaminated about six other buses. And he said, my name was Mud. I mean, eventually he became depot inspector there, my dad. And, uh, you know, but that was not one of his better days. No, no. I, you know, I think I remember when the the um, red bus with the London Transport AS members, and I'm sure it had a blind. You know, the old routes were on blinds yeah, that yeah, rolled yeah. around at the front. And, and I'm sure it had a London Transport Angling Society blind from what I remember. But uh, yep. maybe my memory is playing tricks, but I know so, they, they did yeah, have blinds. Yeah. It's not, mate. It's not. They did. I mean... That's those were the days, Keith, when busmen were busmen, railwomen were railwomen, and the social side and the pride they took in both their job and each other in making these essential services run, we could do with today. That was we massive, could, yeah. But they're all on strike uh, round here, mate. There's and, no buses um, running round here at the moment. <laughs> yeah, uh, and you know uh, the social side was absolutely brilliant, uh, mm. absolutely. Brilliant. And so that's where I actually started those those trips. And then obviously, um, we went, moving to Hemel. I went and found some local fishing, and I was absolutely staggered that the Grand Union Canal that my dad had sat in next to down in London was actually exactly the one in the same Grand Union Canal that was at Hemel Hempstead. I had no idea, you know, in my, you know, before I was 10 of, of the sort of scale of these waterways. And um, I was absolutely staggered that I was actually fishing the same canal 
in Hemel Hempstead that I sat next to Dad at home. Uh, and so trips to places like the Fishery Inn, old, yeah. old, old fishery. I, I cut my teeth on, on, on fishing gudgeon. A roach was an absolute, oh, you caught a roach. And I can remember to this day, the day I caught my first pound roach. It was in the pound just above at the fishery lock. I was fishing cheese, float ledgering. Away went the float, and I had this fish, a pound, got it in the landing net. And I'll tell you, Keith, I kept it in that landing net for the rest of the afternoon, and every five or ten minutes, I stared at this, this gold nugget in my landing net. And I was actually so sad when I let it go. I thought, I thought mate, you've given me the best day of my life. And then, uh, you know, we got some perch. The, the, the canals carp was something you read about yeah. there wasn't a carp anywhere in sight chub was something that you got on a river somewhere on the ooze or the thames not in your local canal by any stretch of imagination changed so, quite a bit hasn't it yeah it's it's changed hugely and you know i cut my teeth on loads of gudgeon the very occasional roach and then every now and again a little shoulder perch that would eat anything uh, but then I can remember very sad days, probably in my teens, when the uh, the perch disease came and 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 eradicated them from most of the waters that I fished. Yeah, they came back with a vengeance, but it took a long time. I remember that well. I think it was sixty-seven or sixty-eight. So you're probably just out of your teens, like I was. And I remember going to um, the King George the Fifth, I think it is reservoir at Chingford, and yeah. uh, climbing up the side because it's it's dug down and then built up on the side, so it's like a concrete bowl. Climbed up the side, and the whole windward corner um, was just loaded. Which it's actually the leeward corner. I keep getting an orange. The, the the corner into which the wind was blowing um, was just a carpet of dead and dying perch. So that wasn't a very good. That was my first time I'd ever been there as well. But but you you, you quickly. Well, I don't know about quickly, but I know you better. As as a game angler, by which I don't mean you're game for anything, but you, you're primarily as as that huge silver thing in in the box behind you shows. You're you're a, a very adept angler at catching salmonids. Well, I have caught over a thousand, and a lot of people say, "Well, how do you know?" Um, I know because I've kept a record of every fish I've ever caught from the very first one I caught. Um, it, it, it is a bit of a story how I, how I, I migrated to game fishing. But it was largely when I was about 14, dad, uh, not in amongst the, uh, the London Anglers uh, boys, but him and a pal took me down to a place called Ringwood. And we spent two days down in Ringwood. And I saw this, this piece of magic called the Hampshire Avon. Absolute piece of magic where I could see the, these roach. At those days, we stayed at a place called the Avon Hotel. Uh, the Avon Hotel was right next to a huge weir, uh, and on top of the weir was uh, what they called the power station, which I believe was an electricity generating station. All gone now. Uh, the A31, which is super elevated over the floodplain there now, uh, and the huge roundabout which serves Ringwood underneath, took got rid of all those buildings. But we stayed at the Avon Hotel, and I remember falling in love with this river and promising one day I'd come back. Um, which I did. 
uh, obviously from from that was uh, I was about 14. Obviously, when you're 15 to about 22, 23, there are other things on your mind. And a lot of people would say that, you know, that's when you found out about girls and things like and music and stuff like that. In the mid 20s, you find out that fishing was actually better. Oh, I don't know about that. I, I, might, I think my wife may be listening to this, so I better say no, because we've been married that long. Um, the, the simple fact was, is I, I, I started popping back to the Hampshire Avon and um, I, I caught quite a few barbel. And then I had one, you know, there are times in your fishing career that you just remember change everything. And one was one day when I was at a place called Bistern, a very famous fishery just south of Ringwood, which during the war, Neville Chamberlain and the, and the prime minister, he was prime minister then, he used to fish. And the story goes that he heard that the Germans had marched into Poland whilst he was fishing there. Uh, but at Bistern, at, at first, it was, I used to course fish it and I used to barbel bounce there. And I was there uh, probably one June one time, uh, you couldn't fish, uh, couldn't fish Bistern, but I, I, I think it was on the Severals or somewhere I could get a day ticket. I can't remember, but I was on a shallow piece and I was watching some minnows spawn. And what happened was, is I could see every time a, one of the female minnows got, or something got distressed from spawning, some fish. And I, and I thought, they're barbel, just mopped them up. And I then saw some marble, some barbel, mopping up these dead minnows and I thought oh and what happened was cut a long course fishing story short I went one weekend to Bistern just in August when you could fish Bistern because you could only fish August and September that's where you could get a day ticket and I fished dead minnow in barbel swims and one weekend caught three doubles in a weekend and the best was 12-2 and I think I don't know. This is about, I think it must be 76 or 77 when the Barbell record was not much more than, than 12, 12 and a half. Uh, I got the fish of the week and also a mention in Anglian Times for, you know, three doubles in a weekend. And the keeper there was a Yorkshireman called Dennis Copley who said, hey, we, we could do with record here. We could do with record, make the tickets sell. Because he got a bit, he got a bit yeah. of a punchback from the tickets. He said, why don't they take a ticket for February and March, a salmon ticket, and then you can fish, you know, February and March for the barbel, but on a salmon ticket, which I did. And I caught some nice barbel. But intrigued, the old keeper who had retired came down, a mate called Percy Brown, a man called Percy Brown, and said, why don't you do some salmon fishing while you're here as well as this barbel? And I said, well, I might give it a try, but how do you do it? And he explained to me how you did it. And so on the 28th of February, 1982, I went down to a, a Bistern fishing on my salmon ticket uh, to a pool called Cottage Mead, because all the salmon pools were, were, um, were named. And obviously the salmon lie in very much the same places on the Avon as the barbel, you know, the fast gravelly runs. And I was quiver tipping for, for barbel and got the odd, got the odd pull. And then somebody kept throwing a body in about 30 yards downstream of me. <laughs> and I thought, what's going on here? So as I say, 28th of February, 1982, I picked up my Mark IV Avon with 15 pound line on and with a Devon minnow that Percy had given me a black and yellow. 
And I went round the corner and had a cast. And then I came back, fished for a bit more. And then the body got thrown in again, about 30 yards below me. And then I cast this minnow out and I thought I'd hooked a whale. But I had at that time hooked my very first salmon, which was a cock salmon of 27 and a half pounds. Wow. And I have to say, uh, I've only once ever beaten that on Hampshire Raven in all that time since. And once I caught that 27 and a half pound salmon, I just, that was me. That was me on fishing for salmon uh, on the Hampshire Raven at first, you know, with Devon minnows, learning to fly fish and, and, and probably now uh, some 40 years later, having fished in probably six or seven different countries for them and traveled worldwide after them. It's uh, been a fantastic journey. And, and one that when you, you, when, when your parents and, and the guys take a lot of trouble with you when you're a youngster to teach you fishing, and, and anybody listening to this podcast, I would say that they have done you the biggest favor that they could ever give you. Um, my game fishing take me all around the world and, and, and basically introduced me to friends and people that I, that I, uh, that I know now. And um, it, it's, it's been fantastic. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I really enjoy all aspects. I, if somebody you're asking me, I am um, my fishing today and you, and you introduce me to somebody who's got more strands for his bow than whoever. My fishing consists of loving my course fishing. I was barbel bouncing at Marford Farm just a few days ago. My salmon fishing, which has taken me to Norway, Iceland, Russia. I fish for sea trout in Tierra del Fuego. Loved every minute. But also, uh, I'm lucky enough to have access uh, via the Piscatorial Society, of which I'm a member, to some beautiful chalk streams, some iconic chalk streams in southern England, and, and fish for wild brown trout. Uh, so, you know, it's just, I'm just so lucky. Lucky, Keith. Yeah, and, and, and hard working as well. I mean, none of these things come very easy. I know, you know, I'm, I'm fully aware of that. The, the, the interesting thing, though, with, with salmon is... I mean, I've done very little salmon fishing, all of it. Well, not quite all of it, most of it with a camera cruiser behind me, which which makes things very, very different indeed. That but makes it are, harder. It's it, it, not oh, much harder. Yeah, because you, you're three quarters of the day doing what they want and a quarter of the day trying to catch a fish for them. Um, it's, so it is much more difficult. I've, I've managed one, I have to say, from the same pool that, um, that, that, that the record came from. Um, so I was quite happy with that, that same pool on the River Tay. Um, so that was nice. It wasn't quite as big as Georgina Ballantyne's. It was only £11 estimated because we returned yeah, it immediately. Um, but that was a – and that's a fish I won't forget. I remember the cast. I remember having a, a little pool the cast before and putting the fly back over there and feeling it. It was on a silver stoke that stuck in a, a Sky Sports cap somewhere behind me. And only a small one, size 12, double hook. Uh, and then um, – it took it again the next time, and I did exactly what I was told. Let the loop go, let the loop go, let the spool, let the check go, let the check go. Now lift the rod. Yes, that's there. And then it was running downstream and up to my knees in my chest waders, but trying to keep up with the damn thing as it tried to make it uh, tried to make <laughs> yeah. it back from whence it came. But that that was that is an exciting fish, something you never forget. But they're the most enig enigmatic characters to try and catch because sometimes you go to a river and there's none there, but you don't know there's none there. Until you you can't catch them and you don't see anything move. Other times you can go to river, and I've done this um, and seen so many fish 
in fact, not far from the Brigadoon, on the River Dune, um, I saw so many fish. It was unbelievable. It was like a shoal of bleak, but they were salmon, and we didn't have a pull. It was a very hot day. And the bailiff came down in the last knockings. He said, I'll show you how to get them in his Scottish brogue, which I'm not anywhere near as good as you at. And, and he proceeded to fish quite illegally with a shrimp. <laughs> and he that sounds like a gilly. Well, he never had a bite either. <laughs> so, you know, they, they, were, they were blooming difficult. And, and you, you can go a long way and pay a lot of money and get there. The river's unfishable. There's too much water. There's not enough water. And when you see how, how the, the, you mentioned chalk streams and how the reduction in flow in all our rivers, especially chalk streams, do, and, and, and yeah, especially chalk streams, how we've abstracted so much water, that changes how the salmon operate. I know that, that Palomine was, was a keeper, or, or he, he was the, the, the tenant on the cargo beat of the, of the, the Cumbrian Eden. And eventually he gave it up because the flow became so little. When water came down the river, the fish ran straight through. When it was at normal level, they stayed in the estuary because they didn't want to come into the river because there wasn't enough water coming down. So he, he had the bottom, the cargo beats, the last, the last beat before the last two beats before the tidal, and nothing was staying there. And he went from catching sort of yeah. 30 salmon a year himself to, to catching one or two if he was lucky. And, and the sold-out syndicate dwindled to zero. But but they are they're they're a blooming tough target to to, to make a career, if you like, out of, aren't they? Yeah, you 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 there, Keith, have, have explained very uh, adequately um, a lot of the uh, the what shall I say the uh, the problems you have to solve when you're fishing. The, the, the major problem that you that you that you uh, set upon, which is correct, uh, completely correct, is is there a fish or two in front of you? Yeah. Um, and then there are, as you quite rightly explained, the days where you've got loads of fish in front of you, but they will look at nothing. But that's what makes it fun. It's, it's, it's like trying to un unlock, unlock a, a box of tricks without the key. Uh, you, you just uh, one of the things if, if you watch on TV, the repair shop, those people there are geniuses at what they do. But the one thing they've got in common is they've got patience uh, and perseverance in what they're doing. They don't expect a lot that's jammed to unfreeze in two seconds or whatever. And it's, that's a bit like it with salmon fishing. You enjoy the good days and you're very philosophical about, about the bad days. But if I can explain to you, even now, after 40 years, a Hampshire Avon salmon caught on a fly is to me the ultimate in my fishing career let alone i've been to russia and caught much bigger fish let alone i've been to russia and caught fish in probably the fastest flowing river with the freshest fish on a fly so you're never ever gonna get a better comp uh, contest between man and fish than that but every one of, of my hampshire avon salmon is to me gold dust um I can understand because of that why. conundrum. I can understand why. I mean, I, I remember when I was on the Avon in the mid '60s, and there was um, one one bloke. Was, we were there for a week's holiday, and one came every day and was telling us how good he was and what a great salmon he was. It wasn't worth fishing for yet. And then, and then there was a, a Polish guy fishing there, fly fishing, as well, and he was almost outside the lodge, and he hooked a salmon. And I was fishing 
the other side of the river as it goes around the bend opposite the stream where there's a stile. I was yeah, yeah. catching a load of dace there, really enjoying my day dace fishing. And he, he, he shouted across, can you come and gaff this fish for me? Now, I'd never gaffed a fish in my life, and I didn't want the responsibility of gaffing the pizza. This in the day when there was no such thing as catch and release. It was, they, were, they were released to the grease in those days. So, so I was, I was, I'm not really – and this chap said, I'll do it. I'll do it. And he ran across – and this bloke had played this salmon for a long time. And he got it up to the surface, and he said, right, use the gaff. And he hit it with the gaff. Hit it? <laughs> yeah, he had not a clue on how to use a gaff. And, and he, he sort of whacked the fish. Instead of going under it and pulling up, he whacked it. Of course, the salmon set off again. Give to me the gaff. Give to me the gaff. This chap said he got it, and he eventually he managed to – because it's quite high off the water there. Yeah, yeah. He was almost lying on the bank. And he managed to gaff it himself, but that was that was the first salmon I ever saw in the flesh. That yeah. was, and that was, as I say, ninety. It was it was the first week of the World Cup that England won it because I was down there fishing um, during 66. that week. Yeah, sixty-six and all that. So mm. I have to say, Keith, um, that is my only regret ever uh, in my whole fishing career. Uh, the only regret I've got is that I have gaff salmon. Mm. I just think um, I wish I hadn't. It's as simple as that. Yeah, but, the, the, you know, things have changed, Ray, so much, haven't they? And, and you know, of course, it, it's not many years before that, that carp were gaffed because there was no landing net big enough for carp. And, and yeah. you see many pictures mm. of famous carp anglers standing there with their carp impaled on a gaff. And how many of them went back alive? How many 20 pound plus carp went back alive before 1950? It wasn't very many. Because that's why you've got loads of them in glass cases all around yeah. the country. They, they, but anyway, that, that's that's a different story. It is a regret, and and I would, you know, I, I've I've made it a rule that in, in freshwater, I don't kill wild fish. You know, I don't whether they're grayling trout or whatever. Uh, I'll put wild fish back. I'm quite happy taking stockies, rainbows, and stuff from 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 trout fisheries. But I, I don't I don't keep um, I don't keep wild fish in, in freshwater. Oh yeah. But but from them for your, from your salmon angling. As you say, you fished six or seven countries in the world with them in, in, in lots of different situations. And, and the Russian thing sounds interesting because to go to Russia for a bit of fishing, when we're, it's, it's, we still, I still see them, still, still see Russia as a Cold War enemy. Um, because, you know, they've never been sort of on our side, have they? We've been on their side a couple of times, but, but Russia in my life has never seemed to be on our side. What's that like as a trip? Well, you'll find. In a lot of countries, um, that there is a political situation, and there is a situation that exists uh, called pragmatism. Uh, and what happened in, in in the Kola Peninsula of Russia is that when the uh, USSR broke up, that region, the Kola Peninsula, which is right up the very very top adjacent Finland, next to the Barents Sea, for for people who don't know where it is, so it's right at the very top, almost opposite Alaska in in the globe. Uh, that area was given to the Sami tribe. Now, the Samis are the people who have a, an indigenous relationship with uh, with reindeer. So their whole existence uh, revolves around reindeer. They they use their carcasses. You know, it's a symbiotic symbiotic relationship they have with these animals, but it doesn't create much money. So what happened was uh, the area needed a big influx of money for schools and infrastructure for the Samis who had actually moved from other regions of Russia into that particular region. And so it was decided uh, one or two entrepreneurs um, went up there 
and convinced the Russian authorities up there that one of the ways that they could uh, get some of this what was huge sums of money uh, because, you know, we're talking about paying 16, 18,000 pounds per rod to go and fish there. Uh, th- this money for a week. Was, pardon? Is that for a week? For a week, yeah. Wow. Um, uh, that's prime time. Uh, that money went to infrastructure and school building, et cetera, et cetera. So we were welcome because of, of, of that. Uh, and, um, yeah, it, it was completely pristine, it poached to death. And what obviously the Russian authorities did uh, and what the, the Russian oligarchs and, and the people who went out there did, they protected big zones from poaching, et cetera, et cetera, and grew these sport fisheries, which have, in fact, uh, made a real big contribution to, to the local uh, you know, financial situation there, the local economy. Um, Is that all catch and release, right? Uh, absolutely catch and release uh, and uh, it's they call them wildlife parks and you know for instance if i fish the Karlovka system uh, the asr beat that's all catch and release and and the fish are looked after very much so the amount of tagging uh and research they do into their runs of salmon there would 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 make the environment agency in this country blush <laughs> yeah uh, it, it's I, I don't know if any of those rivers and those systems um, that you've described are like this, but I've read, and I think it was more in Norway, that some of the most famous salmon rivers in the world don't exist for some of the year. Some of the year they're a, a dry riverbed until the glaciers melt or the snow melts, and then the water starts coming down. The salmon come up, spawn very quickly, and those that make it back make it back. The, the, the par and the smolts get downstream and manage to live in the water that is remaining, but but parts of the river where the fish spawn aren't even there in the winter. Is that right? It is at all. Um, it, it's, the, uh, it's the tundra. Uh, and the tundra has, uh, has it got snow and ice over its in, the entire region. And, and the river, for instance, Karlovka and Eastern Litsa, which are two, the Eastern Litsa is my favourite Russian river. I, you know, I've caught some 30 pounders there. Um, these rivers just don't exist. They open up. Uh, the ice breaks enough for fishing to be viable around the end of May. And the rivers will freeze over again towards the end of October. And so, uh, and, and also in the tundra, you also have permafrost. But what that does is that guarantees, A, that you know when the salmon are going to come because it's a short season. Uh, and B, there's loads and loads of clean water for them to have. And, um, you know, it's, it's draining areas where I remember, where can you say this anywhere else in the world where a guide stood next to you and you're fishing a bit of river in Russia and I'm looking at the hill and there's a huge boulder on the top. And I said, who put that boulder up there? He said, God put that boulder there. And he said, what you have to remember, Ray, is when you're fishing here, you're looking at the same ridge untouched by human hand that somebody looking at that 3,000 years ago would have had exactly the same view. Mm, Now, there's not many places in the world where you can say that. Absolutely right. And... um, it's 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 very very it's 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 very hard. It's uh, special boat squadron uh, squadron fishing out there. Very very hard. I'm 73 now, and I'm getting I'm, I'm getting to the point where it's probably too much for me now. 
you mentioned some other places that you've been as well that that uh, also in, in pursuit of, of salmon and turtle off I go, which of course would be sea trout. Um, yeah, that's territory. sea trout. Yeah. How about your, your your big game fishing? I, I know you spent a little bit of uh, a, a, a little few bob on things like bonefish, tarpon, permit, snook, etc., etc., etc. I think, to be perfectly honest, Keith, to say I've done a lot of it would be. Uh, exaggerating it a bit, I've hooked a lot of them. I haven't learned a lot of them. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think uh, now at my uh, at, at my age, I'm I'm going to concentrate on that a bit more. I've been leaving it in the back burner a little bit because you know, standing up to your knees in warm water, casting a fly towards really hard fighting fish is absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Um, I've done some filming in the Maldives and I, I really enjoyed that. You know, it, it, it's, it's completely different. I remember, uh, you know, uh, we didn't have this on camera because it, it wouldn't necessarily, it was great telly, but it, it wouldn't really be the thing that you, you showed to ordinary people. Uh, I actually hooked a wolfish that actually was a, was a huge wolfish. Took me down, boom, got me hooked on the reef. I thought, oh, well, that's the end of that. I'm going to have to cut off. No, they drew the boat back and this little this little fella about 12 or 13 years of age little Indian guy dobbed into the water swam down got released the line I'm using braid for Christ's sake I'm using braid I'm thinking what's going on he and he got you know pulls the line from around the reef off goes the fish again he bobs up they get him back on the boat off goes the wolf fish he gets stuck again down goes the guy Gets it off again. Eventually, I lose the fish. But this young fellow has actually dived down twice to about 30, 40 feet to get this fish off the reef. And I said, well, blimey, that's a bit dangerous. He said, no, it's only dangerous if you're asking him to go more than 60 feet. He's been pearl diving since he was a young fellow. Since he was 18 months old, he's been pearl diving. And, you know, you get experiences like that and you think, my goodness. And then yeah, just as another experience, how you can put your foot in it. I gave him a $20 tip. And the captain said, I've taken that $20 off of him. I said, why is that? He said, if he took that back to his home village, he'd probably get murdered for it. Yeah. And I, I think similar to that in, in Kenya, when, when we, gave, we gave the boat crew um, <laughs> a tip from filming with them and, and the, um, the owner of the, of the camp took it off them and said, give them no more than the equivalent of five pounds, which is 400 yeah. shillings back in the day. He said, others will never see them again. Exactly. They'll, get drunk and they'll get drunk and get with a woman and, you know, they live on the island over there, which was Pemper Channel. They live on the island over there and we'll never see them again, which was, uh, yeah, so yeah, it's also it's quite exactly economical. right. You know, you get you get an idea, don't you, when you travel with these things. Or I put my foot in it, and, and he, what I did do eventually for the young lad, uh, which I understand made his day. I got a letter, you know, somebody sent a letter on his behalf saying how grateful he was. I sent him a Manchester United shirt. That hurt yeah. me as a Watford supporter. <laughs> that really, hurt, I tell you. But he wanted a Manchester United shirt, yeah. and I sent him that. And he'd probably get away with that. But but that's the other thing about fishing, and in Russia, you know, you have you. Once people trust you out there, because it's a very, very, what should I say, intimidating uh, society sometimes. Um, once you talk to people out there and you find out what really going, you can get your mind changed about certain things. I mean, there's a lot of people in the northern region of Russia would have the USSR back tomorrow. Because under the USSR, for instance, in logging, which is the only uh, only really industry up there, the logging used to take place all year. 
So everybody used to get paid roughly all the year because it was uneconomic in the winter. They got less wages, but they got wages. Yeah. When it was given and, and in private hands, you know, with with, with, with the Russian, they stopped logging in the winter from, let's say, November through to April with no wages. And a lot of alpha males who are used to logging having nothing to do because there it's 24 hour darkness. And so what happened was his wife beating, murdering, drinking and everything. And society broke. Mm. And, and they're looking at this saying that everybody moved out because it was such a dangerous place. And, and so you, we have we're fed information via British media. But, uh, but, but you get an opportunity to go to some of these remote places. Keep your eyes and ears open because you do get a bit of an education about what's going on. I can understand what you say, though, about wanting to go places now where it's warm, because I'll never forget when the, the first time I waded for bonefish, which was in, a, in, in quite a civilised place, in Isla Marada in the Florida Keys. And when you're out to sort of just beyond your knees and that boat wake comes along and goes up to your waist, you don't go, oh, like because the water, the water it, it's, it's no difference whether you're wet or dry. The heat is the same. The water temperature is 28 degrees Celsius, and 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 it, it's delicious. And I, I don't mind that one bit. So that's a, that's one of the great fishing. privileges. Yeah, of, of fishing in places. Now, and um, you, you've obviously done lots of fishing. You caught loads of fishing, and you obviously like your course fishing. You were talking about being fishing for barbel on the upper lee the last few days. But you, you've got very involved now, haven't you? With 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 um. TV fishing, let's call it that, and and it's it's let's call it fishing TV because that's the name of the channel. It, it's it's a very different kind of thing. I mean, it's I suppose the best way be, would be described it would be Netflix exclusively fishing. Yeah, well, that's right. Um, it's a bit of a strange story, really, because um, I I because I can express myself, I suppose. Um, got a job with Channel Four through my building construction life uh, I, I did a couple of series for channel four on construction demolition detectives that sort of stuff um and then what happened was is that um some guys who um uh i i'd worked with and uh, i knew about uh said you go fishing i said yeah and and they said well uh, we're doing a program called the complete angler um and uh We've been asked to do that for Discovery then, Home and Leisure, if you remember. We used to do lots do, of that yeah. sort of stuff. Um, and, and I did a, a, a quick sort of pilot, and uh, I went up onto the Upper Ooze and did a pilot and got the job. I, I got the job as one of the presenters of The Complete Angler. Now, what I'm going to tell you is a true story, absolutely true. Everybody says, how did you get that job with Jeffrey Palmer? And I said, hang on, he got the job with me. Because the guys, um, it was Oval Films then, said to me, have you got anybody else who, um, have you got another mate who would, who would be good on camera? I said, well, you need somebody. I, I said, I'm actually, I can't believe I've got the job, but why don't you, I've, I've fished up in the Oikle, up in the Highlands with a guy called Jeffrey Palmer, the famous actor, who's a really keen fisherman. And why don't you ask him to do it? And they said, well, probably because we can't afford him. I said, well, He's he he it needs his sort of gravitas there, and so here's here's these young TV producers. How cheeky are they? You know, sacking Tom Jones from The Voice. You know, what they've made a mistake there. But then they actually invited Jeffrey Palmer, 
to do a pilot with me to see if it would work. <laughs> and we, we did a pilot up at Alders Farm. And oh, Jeff, yeah. Yeah. Jeff had never caught a cart before in his life. And we sat there and the crew didn't stop laughing for about 20 minutes. And, and, and then the boys took it to Discovery and said, look, here's a pilot with Jeff Palmer and Ray Boris. Obviously, you're not going to get Jeff Palmer for the kind of money that you're offering, whatever. And Dave Hatter, who was the producer of that program, rang me about an hour after he took it down to, to Discovery and said, that is the fastest commission I've ever been given. And so I was lucky enough to, to do the complete angler series and got into fishing, even though I, I wouldn't cast myself as an excellent. I'm a good all round angler. I'm not brilliant at anything. Um, probably salmon I'm best at. But um, we enjoyed doing that series. And then, you know, the production crew said, well, why don't we do this? And it was at the day where online uh, stuff started started to come forward. And, and we've gradually built the business up until now. Fishing TV is probably one of the best platforms in, well, it is the best fishing platform in the whole of the world, I, I would say. Uh we do show we're anglers so we know what anglers want yeah. um the shows on there are high quality they're all broadcastable there they can go on your smart tv on on your phone uh and it's taken a while it's been a very very slow burn because you know you make mistakes along the way when you're when you're pioneering new technology uh, you don't know what's going to work but lucky enough we 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 thought streaming is going to be the thing so we started doing uh, putting our resources into streaming live television shows and and other people's work and we've now got to the point now where we've got people from all over the world ringing us up saying we've got this content could we show it on your platform um so that's really great so it is a it's a channel run by anglers and, and all we're doing is broadcastable fishing stuff for anglers without adverts and stuff like this you know uh, it's it's a it's it's you have to pay for the content um 80 pound for instance for a year but there's over a thousand hours of different kinds of fishing on there from all over the world we've actually got a, a fishing program from from uzbekistan just going up on the channel where one of the biggest problems we've got is making the subtitles work because yeah. there's not many people would understand somebody speaking in, in their natural language. So it, it's going really well and it's, it is taking off now. Subtitles are the way many countries learn English. I know the people in Portugal tell me they watch English movies, so therefore they learn to speak English very easily. So maybe we'll have a, a troop of anglers speaking Uzbekistani in the not too yeah. distant future, which would be quite interesting. The, the, it is, uh, but when you're an English channel, I always remember once saying to me, if, if you speak three languages, you're multilingual. If you speak two languages, you're bilingual. And if you speak one language, you're English. English, exactly right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, right. And our idea like, of translation is speaking louder. <laughs> exactly. So we're actually we can we can broadcast as we do to to all kinds of places: China, India. Uh, we've got we've got subscribers all over the world now that that, that look at our stuff that are, are actually looking in English. Because uh, we can obviously track what's going on, and so if if there's a, if there's a something with subtitles, they find it harder <laughs> because it gets in the way of, the, of them listening. And and so it, it's going really well at the moment, and we're very very excited. Um, uh, there's been a there's been a time 
when so much went online free of charge, you know, papers, et cetera, et cetera, that we thought, how are we ever going to make any, any, any money? But everybody now is getting used to the fact, even papers now are starting to charge for their content because yeah. you can't expect people like us and, and you, you're a broadcaster, you can't expect all those people to put their time, money and effort into bringing great programs together for nothing. No. You can't do that. <laughs> I remember I've been lucky enough to do a few films, and it all started when um, you asked me if we could catch coarse fish in London. You wanted coarse fish from the Thames in a London postcode. And we set off down on a cold day. It was the day after Halloween, I remember. No, it was, it was the day of Halloween. It was October the 31st. We set off down. To, you, I don't remember many dates, but that's one I remember. We set off down to the tidal Thames at, at Strand on the Green in Chiswick, which is London W4. And um, I didn't think we were going to catch anything. Everybody was late um, because I got down here, you were sitting, scoffing, whatever it was, eggs benedict and, and drinking frothy coffee in one of the posh little cafes along the <laughs> waterfront there. And I thought, what have I got myself into? And I said, we're going to struggle to catch Then We shared a rod rest. Do you remember I had the, the, um, my sea fishing rod rest, which I used down there, which has got places for two rods, but I only ever use one. And we shared that. And I think we had nine bream and six roach, I think, in about three hours in the afternoon. And we had a roach knocking on, it was not far short of two pounds, and, and the bream were only small for that part, about sort of two and a half, three pounders. But what a cracking afternoon. It was. Well, first of all, first of all, that day, I really enjoyed your company, Keith. That was really great because, you know, you, you're, you're, you go back a long way, as I do. And, and, and when we talk about RT buses, you know what I'm talking about. Do, Most exactly. people have a blank stare and think I've gone wrong. And um, RTLs and but, RTWs and RLHs. I remember all of the RFs. <laughs> I remember them all, mate, yeah. But, but the other thing was, is that I have to say, you 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 made me feel quietly ashamed, uh, <laughs> quietly ashamed, because I thought I'm a Londoner, and here's this other London geezer showing me what the quality of fishing is in my home city. For Christ's sake, I hadn't thought of ever fishing the tidal Thames. I've never fished. I don't. I think I've talked about Bourne End before. I think Windsor is about the furthest downstream i'd ever fished i think i went to teddington once but there we were in built up london the, the hardest thing about the fishing was parking the bloody car and the second yeah. hardest was waiting for the planes to go over so we could continue <laughs> talking because that day they happened to be on westerlies and and do you, you might remember i was looking up and saying oh that they've just changed to the west it's the southern runway now we'll be all right for a while do you remember and, and yeah. oh that's air south africa looking at my flight radar 24 yeah. app and, and yeah south african airways yeah that was, I, that was a good day you did you remind him of my son he's a plane but he's got one of these bloody apps yeah. and he sits in my front room and i hear a plane going and everything it's going oh that's los angeles 747 and you think oh what's going on but yeah. no i really enjoyed that then also as i tell you i was Quietly ashamed because you opened my eyes to the quality of fishing there is in the Thames. Mm -hmm. We then went on and, and worked together, although it was together with you in the executive situation and me um, as part of the God pieces and, and on World Fishing Day. And what an experience that was. I mean, that was just genius. And I got to meet Fergal Sharkey and, and, and you know, various people down there. That, that was a, a great day. Yeah, it was. It was a big day. Um, I mean, I have to say, uh, for a small company like Fishing TV to take that on, we, we bit off a very, very big bite. And most of it came off. Um, and I, I ended up in Iceland uh, fishing with a, 
uh, a very, very good female um, guide there uh, and actually caught a, a salmon live to camera. Uh, mm -hmm. Mind you, there were bloody, there was quite a few fish there. And, and this young lady, she knew what uh, she knew what she was doing. And, and what we show on Fishing TV is we show a lot of female anglers re who really mm -hmm. know their stuff, really know their stuff. Um, I've, I've just been hooked by, by two very attractive girls from Florida, actually, on, on, on YouTube. They've got this thing called Gale Falls Twins, and, and I've been looking at some. They, they need a hand in learning how to play fish, but manoeuvring boats and tying rigs and everything, but they do tend to keep winding with the sport going around, which I don't like much. But yeah. Maybe I, I'll get I think, out and have a word with them. I think we're, we're, I think we're coming into an age where um, I think this, this present situation with COVID has made people uh, much more appreciative of what they can do outside and we should be doing outside. Absolutely. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, thank the Lord. I mean, I think, I think the Anglian Trust has done a tremendous job for us. Um, There's no doubt about I, that. I think they've, uh, they, they, they've actually made their, made their points in a very structured and intelligent way. And it has to be said, you know, congratulations to the fishing community because nobody on the, uh, in the media has been able to point the finger and say, look, look, look at this load of idiots doing this. Um, so I think what we've proven there is that this is a sport that anybody can enjoy. It's out, outdoors. And, and the huge, huge majority of people are people that you'd like to spend time with. Exactly. I think what you, what you said about the Angling Trust is very valid there, um, but it's, I think what it's done more than anything, it's highlighted that people have seen what they've actually been doing for the 11 or 12 years of their existence rather than what they've just started to do. You know, they are the protectors and defenders of angling and, and, and this, this COVID situation has, has drawn out their abilities um, to a level that nobody believed, which is why, thankfully, many, a couple of thousand people, more people have joined. I absolutely agree with that. Absolutely agree. I think the conundrum, the conundrum is, is fishing. It's, it's not like any other sport. I own a piece of the Hampshire Avon. I'm lucky enough to do that now. I have to buy license to fish it. And then most other people have to pay the club, Ringwood, who I have a, a wonderful relationship with Ringwood Angling Club, top, top people. Um, they have to pay to go in the club to fish my bit. So you have to buy license, you have to do this. And so when you then say, can you pay some money towards the Anglican Trust, people go, well, hang on a minute. I'm, I'm buying a license. I'm, I'm paying a club. I'm doing this and that. And the other. I can't afford any more, for goodness sake. And so what's happened is through no fault of their own, they haven't attracted the amount of people because people think, well, why? bit and everybody's taken the mickey out of us and got away with blue-bloodied murder with regard to the state of our rivers and our fishing because we're fragmented what's happened with covid is anglers can see that we need one voice and i think the angling trust have shown that they're the people that have got the voice people need to be listening to you know through martin and people like that we've got a door to parliament as a sport, we've got people that have got right in against people and made our case for us. So what I would say to every angler out there, it ain't money on top of, it's money we should be doing. And, and to be perfectly honest, if I was prime minister tomorrow, 
I'd say that we haven't got an angling license that's paid to the Environment Agency. We've got an angling license that's paid to the Angling Trust, and the Angling Trust will pay the Environment Agency on a what-you-do-for-us basis. Because as far as I'm concerned, that money, the Environment Agency at the bottom of that organisation is, is populated by guys like you and me who care deeply but it's used as political people with loads of people earning six-figure salaries, sucking the money out of the place, whilst nothing really gets done. Now, I, I'm sorry, I didn't come on here to start, to start canvassing, but I feel you can tell I feel very strongly for this. But You took the words out of my mouth, Ray, because you know, I, I, I've believed for many years that the Angling Trust should be the licensing authority, um, subcontracting the EA to do, you know, to do the work that needs doing. That's, that's my belief. Instead yeah. of the other way around, at the moment, the EA subcontacts the Angling Trust to do its participation and, and bailiffing and yada yada. Yeah. And, and, and I, I am a, a trustee of the Wessex Rivers Trust, uh, which uh, is, is down in Winchester and we look after mm. the, the trust. We, we, we send canvases out, you know, with tins. We ask for public donations to, to, to put rivers right. And, and we do all this work. Now, you know, it, it just seems to me something's horribly wrong. And you mentioned earlier in this, uh, Fiegel Sharkey. God bless Fiegel. He is, he, he has got, he's dynamic. And he at the moment uh, is, is involved in uh, a, a project called Rivers Action. And he's, he's going to make sure, if he possibly can, that some more of our of our goodwill and our money and our and our dynamism as anglers is used towards making things better because you know for for not one of the, the rivers in England to to be in 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 good quality as yeah. as as determined by the water frameworks directive that 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 is shocking and we shouldn't just blame the environment agency um you know water companies and other people oh, yeah. and, and even us anglers we we've got to play our part things have got to change Things mm. have got to change. There's no no question at all about that, Ray. And and we've still got a couple of films to make, me and you. Haven't we? What have we done? We've done our because we've got this favourite fish series that that is, is <laughs> sort of if, if you like, I suppose is is a, a follow up to our day on the tide, our, our half an hour on the tidal terms. We so we've caught pike, we've caught perch, we've caught tench, we've caught bream. So we still got roach and chub to do when lockdown's over, yeah, haven't we? We have. We've got roach and chub to do, and. Um, Having, you know, I, I don't watch a lot of the stuff I, I, I do, but having watched it, we set out to make a program about our favourite fish and to pass on some of our knowledge and experience to people whilst we had a nice day's fishing, which is what most everybody does when they go fishing. Yep. And I'm pleased to say that um, the feedback I've had, as you've had, is that people say, well, yeah, it's, it's two guys who... Who, who aren't setting out to be experts, but are setting out to pass on their knowledge about these species on a nice day's fishing. And, uh, you know, I've put it this way. I think, I, I think you're not in my shadow quite, but I think you, 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 you put up quite a good fight. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. That's very kind of you. No. <laughs> well, <laughs> I know what I have mean. to say, Keith, what I have to say, Keith, is having, having sort of majored on salmon fishing and, 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 and what you call game angling uh, and coming back, to course fishing my eyes were opened after after a 30 year sort of uh, 30 year break from from being a, 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 from doing a lot of course fishing i came back 
and the whole situation's changed. Yeah. And I take my hat off to you, mate. You, uh, you are the same age as me within a few months, but you've kept your hand, hand right on the till with regard to what's going on. And I've learned so much from that series. Thank you. Yes, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I've, I've loved every minute of it. I mean, some of the stuff that will never go out because it's never filmed. So me, me talking to Tim, the producer and Ross, the cameraman or whoever. <laughs> um, yeah, we, we've had some, we've had some good fun there, but anyway, that, that's something entirely different. Now, now we're, we're hopefully we can see now a route map um, or a roadmap out of lockdown. Have you got any fishing planned um, for when, when we're given the go ahead? Yeah. Um, or, or when we're given to go ahead to travel, yeah. I mean, we can go fishing now, but but you're, you've got no chance of going salmon fishing because you're not with, there's no salmon fishing within your town, well, village, or uh, at the moment oh, because no. I can't travel, I can't fish my own beat on the Avon. The, the salmon season started down on Hampshire Avon, yeah. uh, and uh, we're the 23rd of February, I think. Uh, the first salmon came off yesterday oh. at Summerley, a, a 20 pound plus fish. Um, was caught at Summerley Estate on the fly. So there are fish coming in through, and that's what I, where I'd normally be going. But um, I, I know you're alluding to my, my Scottish trips. Um, to a lot, uh, I, I know Boris is uh, locked down, but unfortunately, uh, Scotland has, has got um, a young lady there who, who thinks that whatever Boris Johnson wants, she ought to do something different because that's very good politically. So at the moment... Uh, I'd like to answer your question by saying, well, I think, Keith, I'll get up there for my fishing at Tweed Mill mid-April because I have a house up there, so I won't be staying in hotels. So I can, I can drive to my house and I can stay in my own house in, in Melrose and fish the Tweed from the middle of April. But that depends on Miss Nicola Sturgeon tomorrow. Um, as regards going abroad, unfortunately, uh, no, not this year. Um, what we have done is we sh I should have gone to sea trout fishing in Tierra del Fuego, southern Argentina in January. What we've done is we've rolled that money over. So the next foreign trip I've got will be in January, the end of January 2022 uh, to Tierra del Fuego for sea trout. That's the only foreign trip I've got. And um, I'm not even sure we'll make that. Uh, Isn't that the translation land of fire? Uh, it is land of fire. It's um, it's right down the bottom of of, of Argentina. Yeah. Uh, land of fire, land of fire and ice, and and you can see it's a wonderful place. Uh, what I would say, without uh, I've already had a uh, got a little bit carried away um, pushing the angling trust, but what I would say to anybody uh, listening to this, um, we got beaver introductions into this country. Uh, read about what beavers have done down in Tierra del Fuego. 20,000 hectares of forest trashed. Trashed. Well, I've seen some of the pictures of, of historic trees on the, the Scottish rivers, on the yeah. Tay, in particular Cargill. I know they've lost a lot of trees. Yeah. There are, there are places in this country where beavers will be a positive. There's no doubt about that. They'll, they'll, they'll make a good contribution. Uh, but I, 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 I'm passionate about chalk streams, and chalk streams ain't one of them. You can either have chalk streams or you can have badgers, uh, beavers. beavers. You can have yeah. badgers, you can have beavers, but you can't have them both. No. And we need to be very careful about what's going on at the moment because what happened in Scotland, we get an illegal, beavers introduced illegally. Nobody's been prosecuted. They have to be shot in certain areas because if you try and trap beavers, they're dangerous animals and it's ex extremely expensive. So 
guys, in order to control them, because they've been damaging, have been shooting them. So, of course, the great British public, mainly urban-based, can't deal with that. So all of a sudden, now they're protected in Scotland, yeah. introduced illegally. And we've got to be careful in England that we have... We, these beavers that have been released, they will escape. There's no, it, they of say they control they the area they're built. They'll, yeah. they'll escape. Don't tell us they won't. Like seek but a we, deer, like Jack, like Xander, you know, fish, fish, the, uh, fi, fish exactly. the creatures. Yeah, whichever the creature is. Yeah. I've got so wasp we are, spiders sorry. down here. Wasp spiders as big as a 50 pence piece. But, Absolutely. So what we have got to be given is the means to control them. Because what happens at the moment, and, and well meaning people, they have my support. If they want to rewild and make this place a better place for wildlife, they've got my 100% support. But it's been 400 years on our rivers since beavers were there. So if we're going to put them in, we need some means of absolutely controlling them because they are nature's alpha engineers. Mm. And in, if you put them into chalk streams that have been engineered without them for 400 years, they might create damage. And what really what really slightly perturbs and sometimes annoys me is people will introduce beavers. And there was a statement from the head of the beaver trust the other day. And he said, well, look, what you anglers need to do to control beavers is you need to put fences around your trees and you need to put gullies through the dams they build. So the fish can migrate, i.e., we in the Wildlife Trust will indulge our passion to put them there. You can have the expense of managing yeah. the things. That yeah. is completely wrong. It's the wrong way around, mate. Yeah. Uh, well, fire. Um, we, 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 we're getting to where the end of our conversation should be. So I always ask um, my shipmates if they've got a tip um, that they can give to someone, and it can be it can be a fishing tip if you want. It can be um, a tip about. Don't get beavers in. Don't get too much beaver in your life. That could be a, another tip. Um, what, what would what would your advice be to any any budding or experienced angler? What what would your top tip be? Don't make limiting assumptions about things. Um, you know, I, 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 in fishing, anything is possible. The community, this sport, can embrace anybody, everybody. And, and so don't make limiting assumptions like, you know, all people who go game fishes, they're fluff chuggers. You know, you know, so, and, and you shouldn't make limiting assumptions that all carp fishers are slightly dull people who, who support Millwall FC and, 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 and <laughs> you know, and, uh, uh, and wouldn't read a book. Yeah. That is completely wrong. So my tip to everybody is enjoy and embrace your fellow anglers because basically the angling community with through COVID has, has, has really shown itself to be a fantastic bunch of people. Brilliant, Ray. Listen, mate, we could go on for another hour, but I'm not going to let you because... You're uh, not, not going to cut me off now, are you? I mean, I'm well, just in my stride. Well, we haven't started about fishing yet. <laughs> <laughs> now, listen, mate, it's, it's been my, my honour and privilege to talk to you. I've, I've enjoyed our several hours together on the bank um when we we've had when me we've too been mate me too working i yeah, call it work <laughs> when we've been working together um good luck with fishing tv are, are you Thank still you, active mate. in your construction company uh yeah um i mean at the moment construction is is looking up you know uh, yeah. we've taken we've taken uh, taken a hit but so's everybody and i mean 
people say, oh, you've had a hard time in construction. My heart goes out to those people in the hospitality industry. Absolutely. God bless you. Absolutely. You know, yeah. um, and, and there, you know, there are young people. I'm 73. I never thought that in Great Britain, young people would be locked up to save my soul, you know, or save my skin. Uh, let's hope that um, we can all hold together for this next few weeks and that the government's got it right this time. And then we can get back to back to square one and, and the youngsters in this country can start enjoying their young lives again because they won't be 18 or 19 ever again. And no. God bless them all. Fantastic, Ray. My privilege talking to you, mate. And hopefully we'll get back out chasing some red fins and some uh, rubber lips in the not too distant future. Look forward to that, mate. Look forward to it, 100. Cheers, Ray. My thanks to Ray Boris for joining me on our latest voyage on the strange boat, and many thanks to you for joining us. It's one boat you'll never get seasick on. I'll be back soon with another shipmate, so please rate, like, follow, and subscribe to the podcast, and join me again for our next cruise on the strange boat. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi there, I'm Kendra Adachi, and I host the Lazy Genius Podcast, a show that helps you be a genius about the things that matter and lazy about the things that don't. But here's the kicker. You get to decide what matters, not me. I'm not here to tell you what to do. I'm here to give you a new way to see. Episodes are around 20 minutes and are full of practical, helpful information, as well as a lot of permission slips to do what makes sense for you. New episodes drop every Monday and cover a broad range of topics from laundry and getting dinner on the table to finding work-life balance and organizing your inbox. So I invite you to give the Lazy Genius Podcast a listen. Together, let's stop doing it all for the sake of doing what matters. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Sports Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.